This episode of Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the Golden EIB microphone, includes an interview with Chad Elliott recorded just three weeks ago in preparation for this release. It's with great sorrow we share that Chad Elliott passed away on June 12th, just prior to this episode's release. Our prayers and thoughts are with Chad's family, friends, co-workers, and other loved ones at this very sad time. Rush Limbaugh used to refer to himself as just the guy on the radio. And to be fair, he was on the radio, but he was far more than just a guy. Over the years, as many of you know, Rush raised a lot of money for various nonprofit and charitable organizations, from relief to families of fallen heroes to leukemia research and more. But those are things you've heard about on the air. Those are the things that Rush talked about. What you don't know, because Rush never talked about it on the air, are the deeds that he did for people off the air. And you know, he never wanted credit. He always would tell people or tell those that he gave so generously to, don't tell anybody. He didn't want people to know because it was from his heart. Today, we're going to explore that generosity that was so prevalent in Russia's character. And I'd like to start this episode by telling you my own story. When Rush first came to WABC, before the Rush Limbaugh show became the mega success that it was, when it was just a radio show with 56 stations and most people didn't know who Rush Limbaugh was yet, Rush's spirit was still the same. I know this because I'm one of the people that was affected by it. I was a young guy in my 30s. For those of you operating under the illusion that radio is a high-paying industry, well, when you're successful, it can be very rewarding. But like a lot of media jobs, if you're working behind the scenes, you're not making a heck of a lot of money. You do it because you love it. Well, I was one of those kids. I loved what I did. I was in the media, and I wasn't making a hell of a lot of money. Found myself in debt, so on the line talking to bill collectors, not even aware that others could hear me. And one of those others that did hear me was Rush. I get a call over the intercom. James, can you come back to my office? It's Rush. So I go back to his office and he asked me to shut the door. Rush said to me, you know, I'm not trying to get in your business. I'm not trying to intrude in your personal life, but I couldn't help but overhear parts of your phone call. And I just want to ask you, is everything okay? Are you are you okay? Of course, I'm embarrassed, you know, <laughs> who wouldn't be? But I, I, I fessed up. I, you know, you know, Rush, look, things are okay, but I'm having a little problem, you know, money problems here and there. And he persisted. Well, how much you in the hole for? How much are you in debt for? And I reluctantly told him the amount. It was about $5,000 on and all. And I want to be really clear about something. $5,000 to me then was a lot of money. To me now, it's a lot of money. He said, look, I want to tell you, look, don't panic over it. Things will work out. You're going to be okay. And, and don't sweat it. Okay. So that little embarrassing session was over. Go back to work. 
And let me just make it clear. I wasn't working for Rush at this point. I hadn't even been rotated on his shows. This was during the stage when I was still just feeding him news stories once in a while that I thought he would be interested in. The next day, I'm sitting in the newsroom in a calm. James, can you come back to my office? It's Rush. I go back to his office. Rush says, shut the door. I shut the door. And he hands me an envelope. Is He says, this is for you. This is uh this is not a loan, this is a gift. Please don't tell anybody that I did this for you, but I'm doing this because you're a good guy. And good guys deserve to have good things happen to them once in a while. Open up the envelope and there's a check in there for five thousand dollars. Rush I wasn't working for Rush. Rush wasn't trying to buy my friendship because we were already friends. Rush was generous to his heart and to his soul. It is something that I will never forget. It is something that I have tried in my way to make sure that I have the same kind of generosity to people that I see that are in need where I can help because it affected me so deeply. Now, I want you to think about something. I've watched and I've heard all these accusations about Rush Limbaugh from his political detractors over the years. People that don't know him, people that never listened to him. And one of the things that particularly has upset me over the years as a black guy, as an African-American, a proud African-American is to hear my friend Rush called a racist. This is a man who didn't have a racist bone in his body. He wanted his staff to be excellent, so he got excellent people. It just so happened we had a very diverse staff. Gay, straight, black, white, Asian, didn't matter as long as you were good at what you were doing. But Rush's heart was extended to people that he could help. Here's this little black kid from Queens. We met just months before. This is before Rush, the multimillionaire. This is before Rush, the guy that's the king of the broadcast world. This is a guy who's struggling to make it up the chain himself. Rush Limbaugh had one of the most generous hearts of anyone I have or will ever meet in my life. And that's my story. Whether you listened every day, you are at the EIB Network and the Rush Limbaugh program heard on over 600 great radio stations. Or every now and then. Nation's leading radio talk show, the most eagerly anticipated program in America. These are the stories you've never heard from the people behind the scenes who knew him best and loved him most. Rush Limbaugh having more fun than a human being should be allowed to have. Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the golden EIB microphone. Hosted by James Golden. 
Hey, James Golden here. You know what? It's time that you treat yourself to a little bit of luxury. You know the company. It's MyPillow. But what you may not know is that MyPillow makes more than just the incredible pillows that have captivated America. They make sheets. And these aren't just any sheets. These sheets are smooth. They're soft. They're comfortable. You'll look forward to getting under these sheets every night. I know I do. My Pillow Giza sheets have a luxurious feel you're going to love. Get yourself the luxury. Get a set of these sheets. They come with a 60-day comfort guarantee. Pillows, sheets, don't forget the incredible slippers from My Pillow. They're available from My Pillow. They have a level of comfort you need to experience. Log on to mypillow.com. Click on the new radio listener specials and use promo code ICON. Lots of incredible offers there now. That's MyPillow.com, promo code ICON. You know, national disasters are a terrible thing for all those affected, all those that get swept away in their midst. And almost 10 years ago to the date, there was a natural disaster that we'll never forget, Joplin, Missouri. Today, we're going to be speaking with Chad Elliott, who's the operations manager of KZRG in Joplin, because the story involves Rush, Rush and Catherine. Chad, welcome to our podcast series. It's an honor to be here. Thank you so much for having me today. Well, Chad, let me, let me, let's talk about what happened you're working at the News Talk Giant in Joplin, Missouri, KZRG. Tell us what happened 10 years ago. An EF5 tornado tore Joplin apart. About a quarter of town was destroyed. 161 people passed away, perished that day. And it happened so quickly. And there was really no time to prepare. We were on the air that day uh, telling people, take cover. This looks to be a, a pretty serious, bad situation. Uh, but we had no idea of what we were going to really see in the coming minutes. It happened about 5.41 p.m. It was a Sunday, uh, May 22nd it was. And the Joplin High School um, graduation was happening that day at uh, our college here in town, Missouri Southern State University. And just as the graduation was ending and uh, people were leaving and the tornado sirens went off and uh, people were getting in their cars trying to leave and there were people impacted at that time. They were struck by the tornado. Um, you just don't realize how bad a situation is you know, you see it on TV, you hear about it on the radio, uh, about devastation that comes from hurricanes and tornadoes. But until you've been in a situation like that or at ground zero, you don't really, you can't really fathom what it's like. I just remember uh, being on the air and just trying to warn people and the phone calls started coming in. People were panicked. You had you could hear it in their voices that there was something really, really wrong that or it, it, that had taken place in Joplin. And they would tell us the, the hospital was wiped out. The hospital's gone. And you're thinking a hospital. That's, that's, Wait a minute. Wait, whoa. 
How do you cope with that? How did people cope with their hospital being destroyed in the middle of this horrific tornado? It was chaos, utter chaos. People were uh, just trying to get, uh, well, really trying to get out of their homes. There were a lot of people trapped in their homes at this point. Thankfully, we have a second hospital. We have two. We have Freeman and we have Mercy here in, in town. But at the time, it was Mercy St. John's. And St. John's was wiped out. It was destroyed. Um, just horrific situation. I remember uh, trying to get home. My home was struck. And I'm trying to get home because I was on the air telling this story, letting people know to take cover. And my wife sent me a text message. Um, it said, Honey, I love you. I see the tornado. And then that was it. That was the last thing I heard from my wife uh, until I could get home. It took me 30 minutes. And I only live about three minutes from our radio station. So it took me 30 minutes to get home because power lines were down. I had to park my car. I had to shimmy under power lines. And I went through the destroyed hospital. And I saw people leaving that hospital in backs of pickup trucks. Uh, there were nurses holding uh, saline bags in the air uh, over these people while they're trying to load them in and people were more bloodied. It was, it was like a war zone is the best way I could describe it. So I'm making my way through this situation here. I'm trying to find out, do I have a home? Do I have a wife? Do I have a daughter still? And trying to get through town. And I go through the hospital and I hear the oxygen shooting into the air uh, and uh, natural gas also shooting into the air. You could hear <sighs> so candlestick waiting to go up if a spark was were to happen at that point. I noticed that this this uh, park, all the grass was gone. The tornado sucked all the grass off the ground. It was just it was mud at this point. And I, I just remember vivid things like that popping back into my mind here 10 years later. So I finally make it up to my neighborhood and the homes are gone. So I, I keep walking a little bit further, a little bit further, and I see, okay, the homes are totally gone at one end of my street. And then I start seeing some homes that are still standing. I get to my home, the roof's ripped off, and my wife is standing with our daughter in the middle of the street. Thank God they survived. But our home obviously was destroyed. Many people didn't survive that day. The building is gone, Josh. Unbelievable. I have people trapped in their cars. I see cars crumpled. The building is, the windows are blown out. Oh, my Lord. We've got power lines down all along here on range line. Uh, they definitely, people need help here tonight. The goodwill is destroyed. There are buildings missing, Josh, right now. I see water shooting up out of the building right now. There, there is so much damage. I cannot stress this enough. Please, if you don't need to be out tonight, stay home. Power lines are down everywhere. There are people that are that have got to be injured right now. There are probably people, fatalities right now. People are trapped in buildings. There are buildings missing that used to be here. They're totally gone. Wiped away from the foundation. This is a major hit. We have taken a major hit here in the city of Joplin. And there are people that are needing help. 161 people died. Many, many others injured. And that's physically injured. We're not talking about those whose psyche was injured by going through all of this. Everybody in Joplin 
everybody, every single person had to be affected emotionally by what was going on in your town. Absolutely. Rush and Catherine saw those pictures. We, we saw the coverage and the relief efforts got underway and Rush and Catherine decided they wanted to help. What do you remember about that? Well, I remember uh, Rush was trying, he was kicking off two of by T uh, and he was looking for a location to come and host an event. And he chose Joplin. He's, I remember he was on stage at uh, the uh, 4th of July celebration. And he said that he chose Joplin um, because of our perseverance, because of our belief in our country and how we took ourselves and, and picked ourselves up by the bootstraps. And we did what it was necessary to bring Joplin back, to make Joplin whole again as best as we could. Uh, that was one of the interesting things here in Joplin, the debris uh, and all of the, the storm damage with a third of town destroyed. We had a lot of damage and we were able to clean that up in, in record time. You had FEMA talking about they were just so surprised by that. And I think that intrigued Rush. And that's one of the reasons why Rush came to Joplin. And it was a very hot day. I do remember that on July the 4th here in Joplin. It was almost 100 degrees uh, and the tea was a welcome sight. We really enjoyed it. And we had some groups of people that came out and helped uh, Rush and Rush's team distribute the tea to the to the community. Uh, it was standing room. There wasn't a lot of room. People were everywhere. Uh, just to, a chance to hear Rush speak. You may not know it yet, but you are the essence of what the founding fathers had in mind. the epitome. You are the people who make this country work. What happened here is something that you are going to erase. You're going to build back. It is going to get fixed. It is going to be rebuilt. It's going to be better than it ever was. You are going to show the rest of the country how it's done. represent the best of what this country has to offer. You understand the principle of hard work and self-reliance. You understand the difference between self-interest and selfishness. And you are not selfish. You are all going to be working your own self-interest to rebuild your lives. And in the process, everybody else's lives will be rebuilt right along with yours. We are all part we are all part of a great part of this country that understands the concepts of hard work and self-reliance, respect for our neighbors, love, doing the best we can, playing by the rules, understanding none of us are perfect, but we're there for each other when times require it. Joplin, Missouri, you are defining that. In the last part, you are showing the world how it's done. He truly cared about the people of Joplin, being from Missouri as uh rush was he he really cared about what was happening and uh, the recovery effort here in joplin and i remember he made a sizable donation to joplin's recovery effort and it was just a beautiful expression of love that rush and catherine could have done 
and just coming here and, and bringing some, a distraction. I think I've described it that way for the last few years is a distraction from what we've been dealing with because a tornado of that magnitude, a storm of that magnitude, it really affects a lot of, a lot of uh, people. And we were still, I mean, we're 43 days post tornado and we were trying to clean our lives back up and get things back on the right path. And it just seemed like every day it was a burden, one thing after another, uh, rebuilding. We were trying to rebuild at that time. But Rush coming was such a distraction, is such a welcomed distraction from the chaos that we had been living for the last 43 days at that point. We were going to have fireworks, and I believe there was a band that was going to play, uh, and Rush was going to come out and speak. Uh, so kind of the festivities were set up. Rush was concerned about the vendors and you know, about their loss because he was there handing out two of by T. So he went and made sure every vendor was taken care of monetarily. Wow. I bet they were surprised. Absolutely. You know, one of the things we heard in, in town at that time was why, why are we bringing in someone like Rush Limbaugh to speak to the crowd? And we would always, this would not only at that time, but years later, you know, you, you would, you didn't hear from Hollywood or the big celebrities coming in. We didn't have any of that. And there were no donations by anyone else of of that magnitude. Nothing like what Rush did. Rush's contribution to Joplin. He really did care and he was here and he made sure Joplin was taken care of. People say, well, what are you going to do? What I'm gonna do is keep the spotlight on Joplin, Missouri. And what you are doing and how you are overcoming something that was just thrown your way. So thank you all very much. You have a great future. You are Americans. We are all Americans. And remember, there's no stopping you. Whatever you want to be, you define it. You can be the best you can. Go for it. And I'll see you there. Thank you all very much. And have a great Fourth of July. In each episode, we continue to document the biographical journey of Rush's life, narrated by some of his friends and colleagues. Today, we're pleased to welcome, like Rush, a man of strong conviction, a uniquely talented broadcast host, Glenn Beck. The Life of Rush Limbaugh, Chapter 6, narrated by Glenn Beck. The landscape of national syndication of daytime talk radio shows in 1988 was lonely compared to the daytime syndication space of today. The idea at the time was bold and full of risk. But Ed McLaughlin knew intimately the power of spoken word radio, and he knew the time to strike was then. You have a giant in the radio business, Ed McLaughlin, who retires from ABC, is given two hours of satellite time to fill as he wishes. He could have chosen to do anything with these two hours. He could have played music. He could have done you know, polka. He could have done Chinese opera. But he believed in the power of spoken word radio. He believed it could win. So, on August 1st of 1988, nationwide syndication of the Rush Limbaugh program began. The initial offering was two hours a day, and 56 brave stations stood with Rush as true believers and loyal affiliates on day one. It took off. It took off 
faster and bigger than anybody had expected. It, it, it took off and exploded the way you dream about. The flagship station of the Rush Limbaugh program was 77 WABC in New York. In the beginning, Rush also hosted a local show from 10 till noon, and then his national radio program from noon to 2 p.m. Eastern, every day on the inaugural affiliates scattered all across America. The reason I had to do that was that we started with 56 stations. That's not enough stations for national advertisers to care. And I faced for a year and a half derision and criticism and mockery and all that for what I was trying to do. And the way we did it, the reason I had to do that New York show is because that's where we were given three minutes an hour to sell national advertising. So we were able to tell advertisers their commercials would be heard in New York City. Because if you couldn't do that back then, you couldn't have a nationally syndicated program. In a matter of months, the program expanded to three hours of daily national syndication, airing noon to three. And the program's rapid growth demanded more attention and focus from Rush, ultimately leading to the end of his local midday program on WABC. Ed McLaughlin's brilliant bet on daytime syndication paid off, exceeding even the wildest expectations of his now superstar host, Rush Limbaugh. The show's growth was unstoppable, reaching an unprecedented 500 national affiliates in only three years. And that's a number that only continued to grow in the 30 that followed. The Tunnel to Towers Foundation has been supporting America's heroes since 9-11. On America's darkest day, so many people gave their lives for us. The foundation carries forward a legacy of courage and heroism by honoring first responder and military heroes, great Americans who protect our communities and our freedom, and they're willing to die for you and me. When these heroes are killed in the line of duty and young children are left behind, Tunnel to Towers pays off their mortgage to lift the financial burden and bring these families much needed stability for catastrophically injured veterans and first responders tunnel to towers builds mortgage-free smart homes it gives them back their independence america's heroes and their families need your help join tunnel to towers on their mission to do good in their honor donate eleven dollars a month by going to t2t.org that's t the number two t.org you are the most generous audience there is, and we thank you for your support. Our other guest today from the EIB Network is Scott Hennon of WDAY in Fargo. Now, this was something of a surprise. Scott was interviewing me about the podcast, and he revealed a story about Russia's generosity that we just had to include in this episode. When you hear it, you'll know why. Here's a clip from that interview. I do remember after the flood of 97, Rush had been to Grand Forks uh, in the, the early 90s on a Rush to Excellence tour, and he ate at a restaurant called Sanders, went back, talked about Sanders on the air, got to know the owner, and the owner, f funny thing was the owner's very liberal, but he, he loved Rush. 
And uh, Rush found out about his restaurant being destroyed during the flood and called one day on the air, talked to people, said, boy, you, you really inspire us and in how you're just picking up the bootstraps, not waiting for government to get you through the flood of the century, and uh, sent a personal $50,000 check uh, to the, to the uh, owner of that, that restaurant. I'll never forget, that's when I found out firsthand just how generous he was. Didn't want anybody to know about it, didn't make a big deal of it, but uh, uh, just that kind, of a, that kind of a man, and very generous, obviously, to me, brought us down to uh, Palm Beach to record television commercials for the launch of our AM 1100, the flag, and, uh, and uh, just uh, so sweet to my mother-in-law who came along, and I, just, I could go on and on and on. You know all those stories, James, but it's, uh, it's pretty incredible. We told our audience that really Rush taught us uh, a lot, and now it's up to us, isn't it? There'll never be enough, another Rush Limbaugh, will there? There will never be another Rush Limbaugh, ever. That is not a story that I had heard. And see, this is what I mean. Every day we're learning more and more about Rush and some of the things that he did. And his legacy is, is just going to be filled with people that come out and reveal the nature of his humble but very generous personality thank you for being so generous with your time scott and for telling us that incredible story oh well it's easy to do and i tell you he is uh, holds a special place in our heart and he will forever boast nerdly folks there he is uh, james golden thanks james appreciate you we'll talk to you soon the guy he was talking about was a liberal and that's where rush's heart was it did you know we're all Americans. We go through natural disasters. We go through the ups and the downs of life without our political affiliations tied to us. Rush, Catherine have given so much. They've given so much of their time. They've given so much of their energy. And they've helped raise money for those in need. And that is part of his legacy that will never be erased. I also want to say a quick note. To all of you in the Rush Limbaugh audience and beyond, to those of you who listen to talk radio, to those of you involved, this audience, the Rush Limbaugh audience, the audiences of many, so many talk radio hosts around the nation have proven to be the most generous souls in America. You give, you give to help people, you give to change people's lives, you earn and you give. And very often, without anyone saying thank you. So from all of us who are working on this series, Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the Golden EIB mic, we'd like to say thank you. I thought it would be helpful to define conservatism for people because nobody else was. Everybody just assumed conservatism's this or that, small government less taxes and all this stuff, but it's really about people. It's about our understanding of people. It's about our faith, trust in people. It's about the knowledge that it is people that make a great nation. It's ordinary people pursuing and accomplishing extraordinary things with the freedom, the ambition to do so. And I just thought it needed to be pointed out. And the reason I wanted to relive it is because we put together a montage that will demonstrate the love and compassion that you in this audience have shown consistently for 31 years. Despite all the attempts to impugn you and me, to criticize us, to label us improperly as racist, as sexist, or bigots, for 31 years, you have proven and demonstrated time and time again 
my explanation of who we as conservatives are. The Marine Corps Law Enforcement Foundation, it's now official, is going to get in excess of $4.2 million because I am matching Betty Casey's bid on eBay. $4.2 million. Because of you, 2 If By T has donated over a million dollars in product and monetary donations to incredible causes, including the Marine Corps Law Enforcement Foundation. Folks, you have done it again. You exceeded $1 million in charitable donations to the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society of America. We ended up a total take of $2,519,643 with Leukemia Lymphoma Society Radiothon last week. Yes, my friends, it was a record. Leukemia Lymphoma Society Radiothon, excess of $3 million. It was another record amount donated. And folks, it is phenomenal. The final number is going to come somewhere north of $3 million. We sent a truckload, was about 3,000 cases of 2F by T to the Joplin 4th of July celebration. Items of interest to American troops in Iraq and Afghanistan. Michael Milken and the Prostate Cancer Foundation. The Boys and Girls Clubs of America. The Elves for Autism charity golf outing. All the proceeds went to uh, the Fisher Houses. The Adventure of Rush Revere series is a proud sponsor of the Navy Seals Museum. Liberty delivered a whole bunch of books to the uh, Toys for Tots program today. We have thousands upon thousands of donors here in the Adopt-A-Soldier program. We have zoomed past 100,000 t-shirts and there were 14,000 new orders today. The amount of money that we are able to donate to Tunnel the Towers is $1.5 million. We had so many more sales over the weekend that we have upped the donation to Tunnel the Towers from $1.5 million to $2 million. Today, a monumental achievement. We have now raised $3 million for the Tunnel the Towers Foundation. You know, today we've been talking a lot about, and you've been hearing a lot about Russia's charity work, Russia's philanthropy, the work of uh, Catherine and Rush in helping people. There was another giver on our EIB staff, and one that all of us miss terribly and will never forget. And the Rush Limbaugh show would not have been the Rush Limbaugh show that you know without him. He was our chief of staff. His name was Kit Carson. And Kit was very involved every year with the Leukemia-thon. That's just one of the things that he did. Kit was a friend to everybody on the staff. He always brought humor with him. He always brought honesty with him. And Kit and I (laughs) would have the most incredible time. Some people compared our relationship, if you've ever seen the – the movie with uh, Travolta and uh, Sam Jackson, Pulp Fiction. They would compare the relationship that 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 Kit and I had to uh, to Pulp Fiction because we would just go at it with each other in the control room. I'll tell you a secret. <laughs> this Kit had uh, a nickname for me, and uh, and I had a nickname for him. So Kit used to call me Shaka Zulu, <laughs> and. And he'd do it with, 
hey, Shaka Zulu, and and what I would do is just, I'd call Kit Casper, the friendly ghost, because Kit was pale with this beautiful red hair, this, this full head of red hair. Kit was like a brother to me. We were like brothers. And Kit and his lovely wife, Teresa, and his two kids, Jesse and Jack, were just, I mean, just the perfect family. And one of the things that uh, that happened in our show it was, I guess, now when I look back on it on kind of a preparation for loss is that Kit had a difficult bout with cancer and we lost Kit. And, and Rush, the whole staff was just, and we still are, in mourning for Kit, even as we mourn Rush. And I'd like for you to listen to a few things that, that Rush said about our dear friend, our chief of staff, our beloved Kit Carson. I speak for everybody here at the EIB Network when I say that there's just, we, we, we feel a, an overwhelming absence. We feel an overwhelming uh, hole uh, in, the, in the normal ebb and flow of, of energy and presence at our network because of the passing yesterday morning of uh, Chief of Staff Christopher Kit Carson. And it's going to take a while. He was relevant member of the staff, Chief of Staff, Chiefs of Staff are. Been with me longer than anybody, 27 years. I, I can't possibly personally respond to everyone who is sending me email condolences but they are they're beautiful and the people who are writing me who knew kit are telling me stories that i didn't know uh things that uh, had happened uh, with with when they had interacted with kit funny funny stories they were descriptions of his magnanimous and gracious and hilarious uh, personality it's not. I, don't misunderstand. It's. It's. I. It's not that I didn't know of the aspects of his personality. I didn't know the specific details of these particular stories. I mean, he never told me. Yeah, I went out last night with such and such, and here's what I told him, and here's what they said back. That that only happened when I wanted to know what happened uh, with certain things. And uh, most of these stories are just they're just fabulous and they're great. You know, Mark Stein had a great comment. He had a, he had a great piece, by the way, on Kip at his website. It was really sweet. It was really, really, really good, Mark Stein. And he said, he pointed, this is, you know, people join EIB and they never leave. And that's one of the reasons why this show works so well. It's because it's, it's we've been a team here, right? 27 years, folks, that we've either completed or we just started. I, I get these anniversaries all screwed up in the, in the odd years, but it's a lot of years. And everybody on the staff contributes uh, in, in their own way. But, you know, I, I just have decided that uh, based on the things I've learned uh, on my little success track here, they don't need to go home and have their family scream at them about, why are they saying that about you? Why does a rush protect you? I just it's, it's it's just better and safer for them if if um, they remain out of the line of fire, pure and simple. That's that's why you haven't heard a whole bunch of names mentioned all the time.
Kit Carson's uh, family, his wife Teresa and his kids, uh, have have asked if there are any remembrances that they they be donations to one of two places: Leukemia Lymphoma Society of America, or Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center in New York, which is where Kit was treated. They loved him there. I've never seen this before. Doctor cried when he was released to go home on. Uh, this was Tuesday of last week. Doctor cried. She uh, had really grown attached to him. One of the reasons why, well, it was an engaging personality, was how courageously and good-naturedly he fought it. None of us ever saw, I'm sure he, in his private moments, was mad, cursing himself for whatever rotten luck. But as far as we were concerned, it was just... He was always in a in an upbeat, uh, engaging mood. He was a very infectious, uplifting personality. And every day, or every other day, whenever, however often he had to go get a treatment, it was like, yep, got to go to doctor. Just got a doctor appointment. There was no attempt to uh, garner any sympathy it was the other way around it was it was to you know, not cause a distraction it was just the most amazing thing folks kit carson he took all kinds of pressure off of me so i could stay focused on this and he was able to do this getting to know me and studying the program it was he could do it in his sleep after a while that's why this is going to be such a big void and he knew <laughs> When the program is over, I, this is tough to explain. When the program's over, it's over. I don't want to do anything related to the program for at least three hours. I am wrung out. But I'm not allowed. I've often said other things. I've gotten to a point where I don't have to do what I don't want to do. That's not true where Kit was involved. Program would end every day at 3 o'clock, and I would record the morning update for both... Uh, audio and, and the video version of it. So what he would routinely do, I would do the two updates. You usually can get them both done in one take, audio and video at the same time. And Kit would routinely say, well, that's it. That's it. I got nothing here. Nothing. And I'd say, fine, that's cool. Except, and then he'd launch into 10 things or five, or whatever it was. But he always prefaced it by saying, look, I got nothing, there's nothing here, I'm free and clear. Oh, wait. It always softened my reaction. <laughs> he had it down to a science. That's why all of that stuff, folks. And that's as much inside baseball as we need to bore you with. We just, we feel a, a giant, we just miss him. There's a, there's a void and emptiness here. It's going to be a long time uh, to get used to, but we um, we hope God blesses Kit and his family. After Rush passed, a lot of us are talking now, and we're sharing stories among ourselves, people that worked within the organization, and there are a lot of stories that you'll never hear because Rush wanted it that way. But let me tell you something. This man was a giver. He was a giver. That's 
who Rush Limbaugh was. A very sincere thanks today to Chad Elliott and Scott Henning for telling their stories about how Rush directly affected the markets that they live and work in with his generosity. And we'd also like to thank the many other thousands of program directors, general managers, radio personalities all across the EIB network who for over 30 years have stood with us with their loyalty and their dedication to the Rush Limbaugh show. On our next episode, we get to have some fun. We're going to explore the lighter side of the Rush Limbaugh show with impressionist and parody writer Paul Shanklin. And we're going to hear some of Rush's greatest bits, plus some stories about just how funny Rush was off the air. All that and more on our next episode. Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the golden EIB microphone, is produced by Chris Kelly and Phil Tower, the best producers in America. Production assistants, Mike Mamone, and the executive producers, Craig Kitchen and Julie Talbot. Our program, distributed worldwide by Premier Networks, found on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you listen to your favorite podcast. This is James Golden. This is Bo Snurdly. This is James Golden. I'm honored to be your host for this and every single episode of Rush Limbaugh, the man behind the Golden EIB microphone. Thank you for being with us.